I'm Charlotte. And I'm Dina. Welcome to The Grim Curriculum. Since we are fully into the month of December, and although it seems like we are still waiting for winter to truly arrive here in Edmonton, we thought we could rustle up some Christmas spirit by taking a peek at some unusual Christmas time traditions. This time last year, it was minus 37 degrees Celsius, and today it was an average of zero degrees Celsius, and we're still waiting for that snow. Yeah, we certainly are. I think a brown Christmas is very much imminent. Unless the weekend gets real cold real quick, I don't see us getting any of the white stuff. It's really weird. It really is, and it's unfortunate because it makes life very dry. There is no moisture in the air at all. I feel like one big crusty raisin. (laughs) I have talked to multiple people recently who have gone from BC to Alberta, and their skin immediately goes to shit. Alberta and Saskatchewan, the prairies are the land where you are going to eat through a lip chap like you've never gone through a lip chat before. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Oh, man. I mean, okay, so we were initially going to be finishing up our Rock Terrio series and the Ant Hill Kids, but we're coming up to Christmas, and we couldn't go through the entire month of December without getting some kind of Christmas-themed stories in here. So that's what this episode is going to be about. Then we're going to take a break for Christmas because we earned it, bitch. And then we will be back with Rock Terrio. Don't you worry. Yeah, and I, I like the idea of doing one of these every year so that eventually we have a nice little library of Christmas episodes because that's just like that makes me super happy. Yeah, and if you're in a Christmassy, grim, grim Christmassy mood, we definitely do have some Christmas-themed stories where we talk about different folklore and whatnot, and then we have some true crime Christmas Day stuff like the Lawson family and different things like that. Exactly, and I mean, the Lawson family, it'll depress the hell out of you, but it happened around Christmas. It sure did, and our stories today, our traditions today, they all, of course, have a grim twist to them as well. The first of our traditions is actually a game, a game that was usually played during the winter, but especially on Christmas Eve. Snapdragon was played in England, Canada, and the U.S., also known as Flapdragon. Its origin dates back hundreds of years to the 16th century. Most sources state that it's a Christmas game, but it's also been suggested that in the United States, it was played at Halloween. Thanks to the Victorians, by the mid-19th century, it was firmly entrenched as a Christmas parlor game. Even Charles Dickens and Lewis Carroll both mention it in their works. But then Agatha Christie featured the game in her 1969 book Halloween Party with Detective Hercule Perrault. But that is all beside the point, because honestly, none of you should be playing this game at any time of the year. Exactly. Let me preface this segment by saying, please do not attempt any of the dangerous traditions we are about to discuss. This is purely for entertainment purposes only. In other words, please don't fuck around and find out. Here are the ingredients and items that you're gonna need to play Snapdragon. So first off, a wide, shallow bowl. Also, a flammable alcohol, typically brandy, was the spirit of choice. 
Next, some kind of snatchable treat. Traditionally, raisins and almonds were used, but other small treats like candied fruit and grapes would also suffice. And salt, which was optional. So now you heat your brandy and you dim the lights. Place your raisins or your sweet treats into the bowl. Add the salt if you wish. Not sure why. I don't really get why the salt is included. If anyone knows, please, the grim curriculum at gmail.com, tell us. Yes, because when I was researching, I couldn't find out where the salt really plays a, a part. I don't know if it like adds to the effect of all this because next step is to set that bitch on fire. Your goal is to snatch the treats out of the hot, flaming liquor bowl and simply extinguish it by putting it in your mouth. According to an article in Richard Steele's Tatler magazine, The wantonness of the thing was to see each other look like a demon as we burnt ourselves and snatched out the fruit. There's a couple of fun prizes if you win the game of Snapdragon. One tradition states that the person who snatches the most treats out of the brandy will meet their true love within a year. In another tradition, one of the raisins contains a gold button and becomes the lucky raisin. The person who fishes the special raisin out can claim a reward or boon of their choosing. Can I just interrupt for a second? Can yes, you of course. Please imagine like almost burning yourself alive for a fucking raisin. That's the thing, is at the very least, the damage that may happen is missing eyebrows, eyelashes, etc. The worst is burns on your face. Right, for a reason. I mean, also potentially meaning your true love, but... Well, your true love might have to be very understanding because you might end up looking like the Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I did this for you. Ugh. <laughs> So there's also a fun little accompanying chant from Robert Chambers' Book of Days that goes like this. And bear with me, it gets a little repetitive. Oh, I'm excited for this. Here he comes with flaming bowl. Don't he mean to take his toll? Snip, snap, dragon. Take care you don't take too much. Be not greedy in your clutch. Snip, snap, dragon. With his blue and lapping tongue, many of you will be stung. Snip, snap, dragon. You guys are getting the point here. <laughs> For he snaps at all that comes, snatching at his feast of plums. Snip, snap, dragon. But old Christmas makes him come, though he looks so fee fa fum. Snip, <laughs> snap, dragon. Don't ye fear him, but be bold. Out goes his flames are cold. Snip, snap, dragon. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) I do too. So for the record, of course there is a drinking game variant. A more adult version, if you will, since the game we're talking about was often played by kids. Yeah, so not just adults burning all the hair and potentially skin off their face, but kids. (laughs) (laughs) The drinking version was even more dangerous as it required a lit candle end placed in a cup of ale or cider with the aim to chug it all down without singeing your face. I'd imagine there would be like an added element of difficulty if you were a bearded or mustachioed individual. 
I mean, you could always start with a nice bald face going into the new year playing this there game. You go. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's stuff like this that is why I would not have survived back then. You know what, though? I grew up in a pretty redneck town, uh, Lord love it, and I could definitely see some of the guys I grew up with playing this shit for funsies, so I don't know that we've come really that far. I mean, we used to play beer darts on the regular where we'd literally fire off like dartboard darts towards each other. Do you know how many darts <laughs> I've pulled out of feet? Too oh fucking many. Oh my god. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I don't think humans have changed all that much, to be honest. That is the most like yeehaw story you've ever told me. Yeah. And I will repeat. I mean, I can't tell you not to play beer darts. I've played it more times than not. It's one of my favorite drinking games in the summer. But um, please don't play Snapdragon. Please don't play with fire. I shouldn't have to tell you this. <laughs> Make good choices, friends. Oh, man. Okay, so on to our next tradition. This grim tradition takes place on December 26th. You might know it as Boxing Day. Uh, some know it as St. Stephen's Day. This particular custom is called Hunt the Wren or Wren Day. On the Isle of Man, the practice is to gather groups of people and go from town to town or village to village singing and dancing traditional songs and dancing around a wren pole. Now, this all sounds delightful. A bit like May Day, you know, where folks celebrate the spring and dance around the maypole. Now, here's the grim twist. If you weren't sure what a wren was, allow us to explain. A wren is a tiny, cute little bird. Like, they're adorable. So small. They mainly eat insects, spiders, and other little critters. Historically, they've been held in pretty high regard, and this is due partly due to an ancient fable, even older than ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle, who knew it as a boy. So we are talking about a pretty important bird going back at least as far as ancient Greece, maybe further. Reverence is held for this feisty little bird every single day of the year, except, you might say, for December 26th. The earliest and most common folklore story accounting for the origin of Hunt the Wren tells of a fairy slash enchantress slash witch whose stunning and ethereal beauty lures the men of the Isle of Man to harm, for which she is chased and is changed herself into the form of a wren. It is therefore in punishment for her actions that the wren is hunted on St. Stephen's Day. A report of 1816 notes the hunting of the wren taking place between sunrise and sunset, and according to the <laughs> history of the Isle of Man with a comparative view of the past and present state of society and manners containing also biographical note of eminent persons connected with that island by H.A. Bullock. Jesus Christ, what a title. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyways, so he explains that the bird on that day was... Pursued, pelted, fired at, and destroyed without mercy. And listen, if you haven't yet, I urge you all to please look up what a wren looks like. Oh, they're so tiny. They're like, I, they look like little brown cotton balls, basically. They really do. They're so cute. Oh, man. Hold on. I'm sorry. Earl. I thought I could hear him. <laughs> what is wrong? He's like, I'm done my dinner. He is. He's like, no, it's time for cuddles. <laughs> 
By at least this date, the feathers of the bird were considered to bring good luck for the coming year, particularly against shipwrecks. It was even noted that a fisherman would be considered as extremely foolhardy who should enter upon his occupation without such a safeguard. Earl Jesus. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, you're good. The wren was then mounted to a broomstick or tree branch and marched from door to door on December 26th by the village lads asking for money or food. This particular part of the ancient tradition was said to bring prosperity and fertility. After all of this, the wren would be buried in the local churchyard. Outside the church wall, folks would form a circle and dance to music, and the dancing and the singing is really the only part that lives on these days. And I'm sure the wren population is very thankful for that. <laughs> Today, the hunt for the wren lives on through folks who attend the events on the Isle of Man and especially in the town of Dingle, Ireland, where costumed people parade a fake wooden wren through the streets. I want to go to Dingle, Ireland. Oh my god, I can't talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me try that again. I want to go to Dingle, Ireland. I strongly encourage anybody to look up um, the hunt for the wren, Dingle, Ireland. And Dingle is spelt just like you think it is, D-I-N-G-L-E. Um, there's some very interesting costumes, and it does look like a ton of fun. I love it. Our last unusual Christmas tradition brings us to Italy and the story of Bifana. In Italian folklore, La Bafana is an old lady or witch who delivers presents to children all over Italy on Epiphany Eve, which is the night of January 5th, similar to Santa on Christmas Eve. Also like Santa, she fills children's socks with candy and presents if they're good, or a lump of coal or dark candy if they're bad. She's often depicted riding a broom and being a good housekeeper. She may sweep the floor before she leaves your home. To some, the sweeping means the sweeping away of the problems of the year. The child's family typically leaves a small glass of wine and a plate with a few morsels of food for the Bafana. Now, Christian legends tie in that Bafana was approached by the biblical magi, a.k.a. three wise men or the three kings, a few days before the birth of the sweet baby Jesus. They asked for directions to where the Son of God was as they had seen his star in the sky, but she did not know. She kindly provided them with shelter for a night as she was considered the best housekeeper in the village with the most pleasant home. The wise men invited her to join them on their journey to find the baby Jesus, but she declined, stating that she was too busy with her housework. Later, Bifana had a change of heart as she desperately tried to search out the kings and baby Jesus. She was unable to find them, and so to this day, Bifana is still searching. She leaves the, all the good children toys and candy or fruit, while bad children get coal or dark candy, onions or garlic. Another Christian legend takes a slightly darker tone, as Bifana was an ordinary woman who lost a child she greatly loved. Upon hearing the news of Jesus being born, she set out to see him under the delusion that he was her son. She eventually found the young JC and presented him with gifts to make him happy. The wee babe was thrilled and he gave Bifana a gift in return. She would be the mother of every child in Italy. Not sure about the logistics on that one or if I would personally <laughs> consider that a gift. 
<laughs> but, yeah, that's a lot of children. Before right? <laughs> that's that sounds like a burden, but okay. Um, she was pretty pumped about it though. Some believe that if Bafana spots that you've seen her, you'll receive a light thump on the shoulder from her broomstick as she does not wish to be seen. This might just be a tactic to keep children in their beds, but not nearly as scary as some of the other Christmas traditions that we've covered in the past. Like many Christian stories, the origins of this one have been theorized to go back as far as the Greeks and the Romans. The theory about her name is that it comes from the mispronunciation of the Roman Feast of Epiphany, or Festa dell'Epifiana. Befana is the lazy version of Epiphiana, if you like smush it together kind of thing. I can see that. I, mean, yeah. I like that. The Befana is still celebrated throughout all of Italy. She's literally a national icon. Urbania is thought to be her official home, and every year they hold a big festival in her honor. About 30 to 50,000 people attend these festivities. Hundreds of Bifadas are present, swinging from the main tower. They juggle, dance, and greet all the children. I really like these different variations of Christmas that happen all over the world. And, I mean, you could argue that... Christmas is a variation on many other religions. I think it's all kind of intermingled that way. I really enjoyed our Christmas Legends episode last year. They're all these little twists on the same story. I love folklore. Like, it's just, it's so wonderful to learn. Like, I love learning about different, like you said, different traditions and different cultures like that. And it is, it's wonderful to see it all kind of tie in together. Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's coincidental or one inspired the other or one was sort of cannibalized by another, you know, it all comes down and you can kind of track it back so far, which is incredibly cool. But yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this one. We like I said, I want us to have a little Christmas collection at one point. So please go listen to the episode that we did last year on our favorite Christmas monsters I loved it. We do talk about Krampus, spoiler alert, so check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have any traditional Christmas stories or legends, definitely send them our way. We would love to look into them. Thank you all so much for listening. This has been The The Grim Grim Curriculum. Curriculum. Hey, Charlotte, I got a, a bummer of a fact for you. Wonderful. And I hear it's even Christmas-themed. It sure is. More cardiac-related deaths occur on December 25th than of any other day of the year. Whoa, I did not know that. That is hella dark. (laughs) Yep, and the second largest number is on Boxing Day, so there you go. Stay safe. Yeah, um, I'm always down for saying that calories don't exist over Christmas, but um, maybe watch that extra thick gravy, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye!